Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. John chapter 7, verse 10, Jesus has gone down to Jerusalem, and it's, it's the time of the Feast of Booths, which is around October. Chapter 6 is in Passover, so that's in, you know, March, uh, March April. So we are half a year later. We've gone through the, the long dry season, and, and now it's Feast of Booths. You recall how we saw the jealousy of his brothers, the spiritual jealousy that became murderous uh, as, as they tried to get him to go down and get exposed to arrest. He said, I'm not going down to this feast. And then he, it says once they went down, once the caravan left from the Galilee down to Jerusalem, uh, he went down secretly. Maybe he went down through Samaria. But he went down and he didn't go down to observe the feast. He didn't take part in the Feast of Booths that year because the Feast of Booths speaks of the Messiah's return and the outpouring of the Spirit. We'll see a bit more of that in a minute, I mean, later on in chapter 7, because at the last day of this great Feast of Booths, the high priest takes a silver pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam and he pours it out on the altar. It speaks of a prayer to the Lord, for one for water, but it also speaks and it meant to it spoke of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And as he, that priest poured that thing out, the Lord cried out. And he said, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. For as the, as the scriptures have said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so he, he's coming and saying, I'm Messiah. I've come and I've brought the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is all going on here in the Feast of Booths. Where we pick up now, I want you to see the incredible confusion and the encounter that he has here uh, with the religious leaders. So we'll start at verse 10. I'm going down to verse 24. We're going to talk today about avoiding spiritual deception. Verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, the feast of booths, then he himself also went up to Jerusalem, not the feast, but publicly, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews, again, I'll say it over and over again, that means the religious leaders, were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of, of him for fear of the religious leaders. But when it was now the midst of the feast... Uh, it's eight days long, with an, it's, a, it's a week with an additional day at the end, so it's either three or four days into this thing. In the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. And the religious leaders were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but, is, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, would you say willing to do his will? Now, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Would you say seeks his own glory? Seeks his own glory. Now, he who speaks from himself 
seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now I'm going to read you verses 19 through 24, and it won't make sense to speak of, but it will when I'm done with you. Later on, I'm going to tell you what this is. It's powerful and beautiful, but just did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. He who who seeks to kill you. Uh, Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Say judge with righteous judgment. The religious world is a swamp, not an oasis. (laughs) It is. Just because people say they believe in God doesn't make it a safe place. It is full of confusion, deception, fraud, and, and sometimes truth. So how does a person know which is which? Who should we allow to teach us? How do we know if that per, what, what that person is saying is really from God? And I'm going to stop there. I know it's early, but here it goes. I've been in the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement since I was 12 years old. That was 1961. And it was, I, I, I've watched what happens with religious movements. And it's really interesting. It started out with just people who were hungry. They they read the Bible and they read the book of Acts and they said, look at that. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and they'd read, look and see these lists of gifts of the Spirit. And they'd see the power that's in the New Testament. They said, we want that. Where is it? We don't want to sit and hear three hymns in a lecture. We we don't mind three hymns in a lecture, but we'd like more. Where's this stuff? And they began to seek the Lord, and the Lord gave and poured out his Holy Spirit. And it was just people. It was just church-going people. There weren't leaders. Uh, there wasn't any, any razzle-dazzle individual you all you know, thought was marvelous. It was just people. And uh, that's where my mom and I got invited to a little prayer meeting. I probably wasn't 15 people at that in a little tiny room out in uh, the desert of California. And, 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 and the power was there. I mean, really there. Uh, I, you know my story. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I went out, came, you know, came up baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, no one even touched me. No one even knew what happened to me. I'm sitting off in the corner by myself and the boom. I mean, uh, talk about not engineered by some razzle-dazzle religious leader. It began to spread and move, uh, the, 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 this, this move of the Spirit. And something odd happened individuals began to announce themselves as the leader of this movement. And I remember thinking to myself, who are you? We don't know you. Where did you come from? You know, picture this. You know, you got a parade going down the street, and some guy jumps out from the, from the sidewalk and gets to the front of the parade with one of those sticks and goes. And you think, who are you? You know, where did you come from? And so we're all, the whole parade's going along, you know, and, And they were good at what they did. They all, they printed up a real glossy magazine. And they got their tapes out. 
and they'd just start flooding the market and having, having conferences with them as the speaker, and we would all come and listen. And you thought, who are you? Where did you come from? We, we don't know you. Whenever there's people, whenever there's money, whenever there's power and influence to be had, there are ambitious people who will jump to the front of that parade. And it happens all the time. It's still happening. What did those guys do? For the most part, they had very little experience, a little background, and they just made havoc with us. They took us down one stupid rabbit trail after another until they took the charismatic movement and gutted it, until it looked like a pack of fools. That wasn't where we started. That wasn't the move of God. That was a bunch of ambitious men who wanted their name in front of things and wanted to make a living at this. And they didn't know what they were doing, and they took us into trouble. I want you to know that the religious world is a swamp, not an oasis. Are there good people? You bet they're good people. But if you don't know what you're doing, if you're naive, if you're new to this, you're going to get eaten alive. And I say that for those of you that go on the Internet. You know, you're going to bring up some subject, and here comes this list. Somebody on there is going to be good, and the rest of them aren't, and you don't know the difference. And as far as you can tell, if they're logical or if it persuades you or sounds really good or kind of exciting, you're thinking, wow, that's got to be it. You don't know what you're doing. Be careful. How do I know who to trust in this world of voices, in this world of ambitious leaders, in this world of, of, of people who go all over the place, how do I know who to trust? That's what Jesus is telling us today. He gives us a powerful checklist. The spiritual environment in the city of Jerusalem when Jesus ministered there contained all these elements. There was controversy. There were corrupt religious leaders who dominated the people. There were powerful religious traditions which had evolved over the centuries. There were rules that controlled everything. And, and oh, there was also truth. God-given spirit revealed truth. All mixed together in a huge, confusing mess. John gives us a, a sample of some of the opinions the people had about Jesus, and they sound as muddled as opinions we hear about him today. I want you to see just a little bit of that. You're back with John, I, John 7 there. First of all, did you, I'm going to just give you a sample. Listen to the, the different opinions and the confusion that's going on there in that city at that moment. Verse 12. Uh, some say he's a good man. Others are saying, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. And then let your eye go down to, to verse 20. He, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem are saying, is this not the man they're seeking to? What? Kill. Wait a minute. <laughs> who seeks to kill you? Isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? Uh, and, and then they say he's speaking publicly. In the root, and then it says, the rulers, the English translation, if you can figure it out, you get, a, you get an award of some kind. Uh, it's the most muddled language. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? What on earth does that mean? I have studied it and studied it and studied it. What they said is, perhaps in truth, this is the Christ. But perhaps the rulers know that this is the Christ. And then it says, however, we know that this, where this man is from. 
But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. Nee, 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 nee. He comes from nowhere. Okay. Now, I'm sorry. Let it go. Okay. Now, verse 31. Many of the crowd were believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those that which this man has. So somebody's looking and saying, he's got to be. Look at the power. Uh, and, then, and then you've got, uh, go down to um, verse uh, 40. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Uh, others were saying, this is the Christ. Others, still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? It's not the scriptures say that the, the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. Look at verse 42 and compare it to verse 27. Up there they're saying no one knows. We, it, we can always tell it's the Messiah because nobody knows where he's from. And then verse 42 says, can't be him. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. You see confusion? You see all kinds of opinion. And it says a division occurred in the crowd. And some of them wanted to seize him. And then, then the religious leaders send uh, police. They've got uh, the Levitical police is what they are. They send the Levitical police to arrest him. They come back and they, say, they said, where is he? And they said, nobody's ever spoken like this man. We're not going to arrest that guy. And they, they, then they began to berate them. And they said, none of us have believed in him. None of the Pharisees are rulers. Uh, and then it says, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Verse 52. In other words, you, you, you country bumpkin. Uh, search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Help me a minute. Anyone else read Isaiah 9? We do it every Christmas, don't we? And it says this. Uh, it says, but there shall be no more gloom for him who was he, her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. And later on, he shall make it glorious. Galilee of the Gentiles. Those who live in darkness will see a great light. For unto us, a son will be given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Eternal Father. No, nothing in Galilee? Zebulun is where Capernaum is. Naphtali is where Nazareth is. They're idiots. <laughs> this is the priest, by the way. Let me say something. I'm going to say a lot of rude things about the high priest. You need to know that the high priest at that point in time was something that a family purchased from the Romans. So it's a fraudulent group. Caiaphas, Annas, these are frauds. They are rich people who put in their alpha male. And bought it from the Romans. So this is not a godly priestly line. This is not a comment even on the priesthood in Israel. This, this is what you got in Israel at the moment. Just note, is that confusion? Everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. None of them agree. It's a muddle. Here we go. Even though two millennia have passed since Jesus had this dialogue with religious leaders in the temple courtyard, people are still asking the same question. How do I know who is telling me the truth about God? And the answer Jesus gave them then is just as true today. We too are living in a jumble of religious opinions and we desperately need to know how to avoid spiritual deception. Let's go stand in that crowd and listen to Jesus. 
The religious leaders expected Jesus to attend the rituals associated with the Feast of Booths. Each day, sacrifices were conducted in the temple, so they watched for him among the crowds and asked those who might know, where is that man? That's what they said. And by this point in his ministry, Jesus had become a, fo the, a focus of national attention, and opinions about him varied widely. As caravans of pilgrims arrived in Jerusalem from all around the region, he became a frequent topic of conversation. John said there was much murmuring about him in the crowd. Some said he's a good man. Others said no, but he leads the crowd he wa astray. He wanders is what they say. John tells us that these discussions about Jesus were kept private and spoken quietly because people feared being overheard by the Jews, a term which meant the temple authorities and the Pharisees. The dominance these religious elite exerted over the common people can be seen by their fear of speaking openly. Obviously, there was no toleration for differing opinions. People were afraid to be overheard talking about Jesus, either positively or negatively. To be caught saying anything that might displease the leaders was very dangerous. The slightest transgression might cause someone to be disfellowshipped. Uh, that person would be not denied entry to temple activities and even barred from attending their own local synagogue. We'll get to chapter 9. Jesus will heal a man who has never seen in his life. In other words, the eyes don't work, never have. There's really nothing there. Uh, he, will, he will heal. Actually, he, it isn't a healing. It's a creation. He will literally give the man new eyes. And, and the man will see. And then they haul him in. And they said, who, who did this to you? First of all, they haul the parents in. said, who this? is this your son? He looks like him. Mm -hmm. Looks like him. And they, said, and they said, well, who did this? And they said, we well, don't know. He's of age. Ask him. Yeah. And it says, for they were afraid of the Jews, for they had threatened that they would put out anyone who, who acknowledged Jesus. So the parents don't have the guts. They go, ask, ask him. He's, he's, old. he's, he's an adult. Um, so they go to him and they said, who, who did this? You know, and he said, I told you already. Do you want to be his disciple too? <laughs> they, and they said, we're disciples. You know, and, and then they, and they put him out. This is his crime. For having eyes created and for, this, and for not renouncing Christ. He's out. He can't go to synagogue. He can't come to temple. He is anathema. For that, that's the environment, the oppressive environment you've got. The Feast of Booths is a week-long festival. And there's an additional assembly held on the day afterwards, which brings the total festival days to, to eight. So on the third or fourth day, Jesus went into the temple complex and began to teach publicly. Suddenly, the religious leaders had no difficulty locating him. There, was, there he was in the temple courtyard, boldly addressing a crowd of people, probably in the shaded area beneath the portico of Solomon. When they drew near and listened, what they heard caused them to marvel. They had expected to hear a biblically ignorant man foolishly ranting his own clumsy ideas. But instead, they found themselves listening to an intelligent well-structured message that was full of insight. I'm going to take you through his message, and you see, you see what you think of it, but not now. Jesus taught like a well-trained rabbi, but they knew he had not received that level of education. He had received only the basic education that every Jewish child received. Beginning at age of five or six, boys and girls growing up in first century Judaism were taught not only at home, but also in the synagogue to read write and recite large portions of the Torah, the five books of Moses. Did you hear that? 
all their children are taught to read, write, and recite large portions of the, of the, of the Torah. What do we do with our children? Give them puppet shows and graham crackers and keep them out of our hair while we have church because we're burned out. It, we, are, we have so made a mistake. When our church, we're, we are turning back, man. We are turning back to graded Sunday school. We are turning back to Bible-based. We are doing everything we can and then to empower the parents. So we all have to take this responsibility. We've got to pass our faith on to our children in the next generation. It's, the, it's our highest calling, to be quite honest with you. So I want you to see this because people will often say, um, you know, Matthew and and Mark and Luke and John and everybody, a bunch of country bumpkins, uh, totally uneducated fishermen, as if they sort of walked along dragging their knuckles on the ground. You listen to the education I'm describing here. First of all, can you memorize the Torah? Can you recite it and, and read it from any passage you're called on? They could. Those children all could. Uh, boys and girls, they were taught like that. And then go, go on, look, look, look at more of it. At age 10... They begin to learn the Mishnah, a collection of explanations of the text, a commentary. And at 13, they went through a rite of passage called being bound to the commandments. What do we call it? Bar mitzvah, yeah? Then at age 15, a few of the highly motivated and gifted young men would go on and become disciples of a rabbi. They would follow that rabbi for years, and then if they did well, they might become a rabbi themselves by about age 30. We have no specific education, information about the education Jesus received during his early years, but when we review the normal pattern of training for Jewish children, it seems reasonable to assume that he stepped out of that educational process after he reached the age 13. We know that he learned Joseph's trade and became a carpenter or builder. We also know that by age 12, he was already showing brilliance in his ability to understand the scriptures. Why do I say that? Do you remember what happened? At age 12, he was in the temple. His, it says there that his family was devout. They went down every year and spent the whole week for Passover. Uh, Joseph and Mary took the, took the children and, all, and went every week, and spent, I mean, every, every year, and spent Passover week in Jerusalem. By the way, at the end of Passover week, the priests and leaders, the Sanhedrin, will come out into the public courtyards and talk openly with the people. So that idea of Jesus dialoguing in the temple with them is completely uh, not likely. It's possible. There they are. It's, it's not something that was just put in. It should come as no surprise that now when he is in his 30s, as these religious leaders listened to him, they were astonished. They asked, how does this man know rabbinical studies since he's never been formally trained? And apparently they said it loudly enough for Jesus to hear them. His answer indirectly acknowledged he hadn't learned the things he was teaching from other rabbis, but emphasized that he himself was not the source of these truths. He said that what he was teaching, he had learned from the Father, the one who sent him to earth to become a man. Most religious leaders claimed that their ideas were inspired by God. But how can a person test to see whether or not that claim is true? Having said that his teaching came from God, Jesus invited his listeners to verify the fact for themselves. And he told them how to do it. He said the first step in discerning truth takes place inside each person. A truth seeker must first decide that they want to do God's will before he will reveal it to them. Would you say before? before. 
That's scary, isn't it? You got to decide to do his will before he will tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Jesus said, if anyone desires to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is from God or I speak from myself. In other words, the person who genuinely wants to know the truth so that he or she can obey God will be able to discern the difference between a teaching that originated in the human mind and one that came, truly came from God. To that person, God will expose what's false and confirm what's true. This principle seems to imply that those who are led into false doctrines, listen to this, this is kind of scary. Those who are led into false doctrines are actually willing participants. They choose to allow themselves to be led astray because what they're hearing pleases them rather than deceives them. That really cuts to the quick. Jesus' words contain a wonderful promise to a sincere seeker. God will give discernment. Would you say that to a sincere seeker? To a sincere seeker. God will give discernment. One more day. Then he gave his listeners a second test to verify that his teaching came from God. He said the one speaking from himself seeks his own glory. But the one seeking the glory of the one having sent him, this one is true and unrighteousness is not in him. This test exposes the teacher's motivation. Is that person seeking to draw people to God or themselves? The listener must examine their own inner response to a particular teacher. Did that person's words direct the listener's attention and affection toward God or the teacher? In other words, a key question we should ask ourselves when listening to a teaching is, who receives the glory, the respect, honor, admiration, and love? Did that teacher humbly step aside and allow me to give that glory to God? Or did the teacher subtly shift it to him or herself? Then Jesus noted that those who were listening to him apply, that if they applied that test to his teaching, they would quickly recognize that he was seeking his father's glory, not his own. He explained that when a teacher's motivation is right, he or she will lead listeners to remember those things which God said to his people in the past. The word true in, in Greek means not forgotten, not forgotten. Well, what don't we forget? We don't forget what God has said. He reminds us of the things God has said. So a true teacher will not detach themselves from the things God has said. Take us, and then secondly, and will encourage them to walk obediently in the standards God revealed in his covenant laws. The word righteous or unrighteous is adikia, not basically not uh, submitted and obedient to the covenant laws of God. That's what it means. Jesus taught his listeners and us how to avoid spiritual deception. He told a crowd filled with conflicting religious opinions how to discern truth, how to recognize whether or not a teacher or their teaching came from God. It's hard to imagine a gift our generation needs more. There are so many voices trying to tell us what to believe. So let's look carefully at this passage and ask, what tests should we apply to a teacher? Number one comes out of verse 15. Don't look at a teach, uh, pardon me, don't look at a person's academic credentials. Listen to what they're teaching. Remember this? They looked at Jesus and they said, how can he know this? He has no formal education. Now, I pointed out to you, he'd had quite a lot of education. 
don't think of him as a, some bumpkin. He had been through the age 13, he'd memorized the Torah, large sections, had all kinds of uh, Bible interpretation taught to him by the local rabbi and everything. I mean, he'd had a training. No, he didn't go on rabbinically, but he had a lot of training. But they look at him and they say, he doesn't have any training. How can he teach this well? Listen to what they're teaching. Don't look at a person's academic credentials. Listen to what they're teaching. Why don't you say that? Don't look at a person's academic credentials. Listen to what they're teaching. God looks for people who are yielded to him. He chooses a teacher based on character, not outward appearance. In Jesus' case, he had no formal rabbinic training. So the religious leaders automatically categorized him in their minds as someone with nothing important to say. They equated a person's education with spiritual intelligence. So they were shocked as they listened to a man who understood the deep meaning of Scripture. Here was a carpenter explaining to them things they didn't understand. John says they were astonished. If you and I aren't careful, we too can miss some of God's best teachers. How many of you have people in your life, they have no formal or academic uh, credentials for it, but they know God and they know his Bible and you trust them. Raise your hands. Lots of people in our lives. Amen. It, you, you, you've got to listen to it. I'm thinking when I was thinking through, I, you know, there's lots of people that come to my mind. But one one man. He, uh, this was when I was a young man uh, in northern Minnesota and uh, Axel Sorensen. He had actually come over from Denmark on, on, the, on the boat and came into that area uh, so long ago that he, it was, he, he could tell me about you know, the, the, when, when, when there were just carcasses of buffalo going from one side of North Dakota to the other side because men would shoot buffalo out the windows of the train. He said you could literally walk on the dead carcasses. Uh, they'd give them rifles and cartridges uh, for free so they could shoot out the window at the buffalo in order to get p passengers to ride on their trains. I mean, it's, uh, it's stuff like that, just bah. Anyway, Axel lived in a, in, 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 there, uh, we're in northern Minnesota, small house out in the, out in the forest, uh, married a, a Norwegian woman, Tomina. And uh, he had a wood stove that he did the house and his, and his workshop. He, 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 I, I, in, uh, in, my, in my high school years, a couple of them, I, I worked for him. And uh, when he was a builder, and we, when we built a house, I mean, we built everything. You, you dug the ground, you stuck the cement work in, uh, you then put the, the framing in, and you wired it, and you put the insulation in, and you put the roof on. I, you know, I'm the gopher. It's, it's Axel and, and Leif his brother-in-law, and me. And I, so when we've got these 90-pound uh, bundles of, of asphalt sh sh shingles that go up on the roof, and there's a pile over here. Hey, Steve, put those up there, okay? 90 pounds. And so I'm up the ladder. I don't have a hoist. I'm going up the ladder, you know. Mm -hmm. you know and I got so strong. <laughs> I got so strong. It was amazing. I need to tell you this. Um, you wouldn't believe it. I, I, I remember I was wrestling with one of my friends. I mean, forgive me, but, that, you know, young men. And uh, we, we were going to kind of wrestle. And I reached out, and I picked him up effortlessly straight over my head. I was shocked. He was shocked. 
And then I started, you know, like this. And he says, don't you drop me. Don't you drop me. Don't you drop me. And I thought to myself, I can't believe how strong I am. And I, and I, find, I just took it and I set him back down. This guy's my size. If you ask me who is one of the finest Christian men you've ever known in your life, Axel Sorensen. He didn't have all of his fingers. I used to remember watching him, how he'd hold a nail and nail it, you know, with, with, with fingers missing. He would sit there in that little, little house in the woods and read the National Geographic from, front, from, from beginning to end. He would, he would read all kinds of things. You couldn't talk about anything he wasn't, he wasn't conversant on. I don't mean just opinionated. I mean, he really knew. He, he'd get content. He was uh, one of the lead elders in the, in the Northern Bible Chapel. He was the, chair, the, he was the chairman of the Board of, of, edu, of Education for the Northern School District. No formal education. Not all of his fingers. I've never... Known a more honest, kind, strong man. Boy, did he teach me how to work. My mother took me to Minnesota. She said, I don't want you here in California. They're a bunch of wimps. She said, she said I'm going to get you up with some real men. And, and it was true. It was true. And my, we're out in the rain. We're, it was amazing. I thought, do you do this? And, 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 but, but Axel Sorensen, without a formal education, had become a great man. When I graduated from college, I'm not making this up, I called him and said, do you have a job for me? Because I would have come and worked for him. After graduating from college, I would have come and worked for Axel. That's how much I respected him. He actually didn't at that moment, said, I would, Steve, I'd hire you. I, I just don't have anything right now. And then as soon as, as, soon as I, I went elsewhere, the Lord opened all sorts of work for him. I, I wasn't supposed to go there. But that's how much I love the man. Do you have people like that? Do you have people like that? You, you have to open your eyes. This is the first lesson we really have to take out of this thing is listen to the person. Listen to who they are. Uh, I, I talked to one pastor. He's had a terrible physical thing happen to him. And he said, I, I feel worthless. And I, and I, I wanted him and, and still hope to have him in, in areas of ministry. And I said to him, look, I, I'm, I, I'm very sorry for what's happened to you. But I said, I know who's in there. I know who's inside there. And you've got a ton to give. You've got to look inside people. We've got to see who they are. Not look at, the, look at their, whether they're old or young or, or, or what they look like or any of that stuff. We've got to look at the person. Verse 16. Ask yourself, is this something the teacher thought up or does it come from God? Say that, would you? Ask yourself... Is this something the teacher thought up, or does it come from God? Here's what makes this test possible. God's ways are very different from our human ways. He's holy, so he doesn't make place for the evil that comes out of our human flesh. I mean, think of some of these religious systems and some of the, some of the incredibly ugly things they recommend. Violence. Sexual deals? I mean, sometimes you look at it and go, I know who thought that up. Some guy. You know, you can just tell what comes flooding out of the human flesh. And please notice how the, the Bible does not appeal to our flesh. 
He's loving, so he calls us to selfless sacrifice at a level far beyond anything we want to do. He has predestined us to become his adopted children. So he calls us to live by standards that are much higher than our unbelieving neighbors. Do you ever feel, you know, you always have a child that'll say, you've got some standard, and they say, well, my, my friends can do it. And you say, well, that's tough. You're a member of our family, and we don't do it, right? That's what the Bible's about. He's saying, I know your neighbors all do it, but you're my children, and you don't do it. You don't eat that garbage. You don't do those kinds of things. You're mine, and we don't do these things. You got follow that? It's as simple as that. In other words, when a teacher it, teaching is really from God, it's probably not something we enjoy hearing. <laughs> it doesn't flatter us or appeal to our lusts or give us permission to hate or encourage us to grow proud. God's truth is uncomfortable. Yet his ways must become our ways. His thoughts must become our thoughts. Teachers who want people to like them avoid such topics. Instead, they tell people what they want to hear. I don't need to amplify that much, do I? You know what's going on. You, you know the way, th what's happening is, is the church world has been taught marketing. They've been taught to evaluate what the public wants and then package it with a scripture attached. And, that, and, and, and it works. You can flood a, a convention hall with people who will come because they want this, that, or that. It isn't a particularly godly motivation at all. They just want, if spiritual stuff will get me the stuff I want, let's do it. That's fine. It's marketing. It is not discipleship. Number three, prepare yourself. Jesus said a person must want to do God's will before God will reveal his will to them. That statement bores down to the deepest motivation inside us. In other words, submission to God precedes revelation. This implies that it is possible for a person to love God and want to obey him before they have much information about him. Apparently, humans have a lot of intuitive knowledge about God, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. Our human spirit is able to sense his presence and is aware of his character even when we've had no formal teaching about him. And we make decisions about him too. Some decide to come to him knowing that he will demand much change. While others decide to draw back from him because they don't want to change. Our basic honesty. Our willingness to do God's will even before we know what it is. Jesus says is essential. Only to people like that does God give discernment. Or maybe we should say only those people like that. Accept his discernment and reject false teachers. Choosing to do what he wants. It means I, well, why would I ever choose to obey somebody before I knew what they were going to ask of me? I would only do it if I trust them. God is there. He's as real as the next breath you're going to take. And you know it. Your spirit knows it. It's like we're fish swimming in water. We are aware of him. Every human being is. We all know he's there and we all sense who he is. It's a, it's a, it's a matter of conscience. When I was, uh, you know a bit of my story, I'll just shorten the thing. But when I was 43 years old, look, I'm planning a church in Tempe, Arizona. 
I am, you know, I'm, I'm trying to serve God, but I am dealing with such depression uh, because I'm constantly kind of trying to steer my life. Do you ever have the feeling that God is a, a bit crazy and someone needs to have their feet on the ground, you know? <laughs> so you love him and you know, you know, you, God, have your way, but you kind of hold on to the steering wheel down here. You know, it's like, no, no, too far. No, no. Anyone run, walk your life like that? Yeah. I did. Let's just say that. I did. And oh, God, I love you. I'll give you everything. Nope. No. And I had really, it, I just was dealing with savage depressions. Because God's will was always something, uh, I mean, it was painful, it was hard, it was dry asking all this of me. I was lying on the bed in, 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 our, in our bedroom there in Tempe, and, and the blinds are closed, and I'm in a terrible depression. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you don't want to live anymore, do you, son? And I said, no, sir, I don't. And I wasn't suicidal. I had no intention of hurting myself. I had children, a wife. I, I can't do that. That's just not an option. I wasn't, but do I want to live? No. I mean, this is one day after another I'm hurting. And he says, you don't want to live anymore. And then he said, he said, it is a pity to waste a perfectly good human being. He says, you got, you know, you got a lot of years left. It's kind of like, you know, 50,000 miles on this car. You can drive this another 100,000. And, and, and he said, um, since you're not enjoying living for yourself, I'm planning a church. I mean, come on. But he knew my heart, didn't he? He knew my motivation. He knew my ambition. He knew my fears. So he said, since you're not enjoying living for yourself, why don't you give me what's left of your life and I'll use it any way I want? Talk about threatening. <laughs> and he said this. He said, you could be a coin in my pocket and I'll spend you any way I want. <sighs> I hurt so bad and I hurt so long that I was actually able to say yes and mean it. Nothing hurt. I mean, I... I said, yes, sir. I said, I would like this. Would you let me touch someone's life each day? He said, I will. I assumed one of two things. Either I was going to, this was, I was in a very difficult situation of a church plant. I think it's difficult. It, I, was, I was feeling sorry for myself. Or he was going to move me to Borneo, <laughs> which is frankly beautiful. And I would be wise to have gone there. <laughs> we learn, don't we? Yeah. But I was terror, but, but I said to him, I will do that. I'll be a coin in your pocket. You may spend me any way you want. I got a, six months later, I was the pastor of this church. I got a call from the supervisor, and he, and he called, and he said, would you take a church? I said, absolutely not. I said, I have dealt with God, and uh, I think, he, I, you know, I assume he wants me to stay here forever. And, uh, and he said, well, would you pray about it? You know, that's always a painful question, isn't it? And, and I said, all right, look, I'll pray. I said, but, and, and my, I said, I'll give it three days. And I said, if God doesn't talk to me and Mary and say the same thing, I'm not going. And he says, well, I've got a church. I won't tell you where it is. And he says, I will tell you. It's in the Puget Sound area. But he says, that's all I'll tell you. You tell me whether you'll take it. How about this for not knowing? And I said, all right. So I went to the Lord, and I said, what do you want? And, he, and the Lord told me, he said, go, and I'll be with you. Mary went to him. He said, go, you must go <laughs> to her. 
you must go, and it will be good for the whole family. Then I called him, and I said, I'll take it. Where is it? Do you hear what I'm having to do? God is making me say yes before. I'm not reasoning this. I'm not buying a product. I have submitted to him, and then I say, where is it? That's how we begin to walk with him. That's where discernment comes from. When you and I say we will do his will regardless. Some of us today, right now, are stuck. And you've been asking God for a long time. And nothing seems to be coming. I'll bet this is the issue. Go to him and say, I'm letting go of the steering wheel. (laughs) I'm going to let a wild, crazy God have his way. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I will do it. And don't tell me it isn't terrifying. It is a terrifying thought. Was his will crazy and wild? Yeah, he sent me up here to the wilds of the Northwest. Now, I'm very grateful he's his plan. I'm very grateful I said yes before I knew. Aren't you? No, I don't mean are you glad. Yeah, but you understand. Was his will perverse or ugly or mean? No, not at all. It won't be for you either, by the way. But you have to let go. That's what he's teaching right there. Number four, watch your heart. People who teach things they invent in their own flesh do so to benefit themselves. I I, I read a statement once that says this. People stand in front of people for only one of two reasons. Display or communication. People only stand in front of a group of people for one of two reasons, display or communication. In other words, I, I, I know, do you want them to be impressed with you, look at you, see you? Is it, is it about this? Or is it about communication? I learned long ago that if I think about what people are thinking, I get I get intimidated and uncomfortable. I'm, I'm miserable. If I, if I sort of like, I don't know, I like it or don't like it. Who, but, I, but I focus on the message and let the Lord speak. I'm at peace and I have energy. I'm having to, we, this isn't like just, it's something you sort out all the time. It's often very subtle. And they may say they want, quote, all the glory to go to God. But after you've listened to them, you find yourself becoming more and more dependent on that teacher rather than God. When they teach, they always place themselves in positive light. They are always the example of success. They're usually clever and entertaining. And they lead you to believe that the power of God or or the word of God comes directly from them. In some cases, they can produce a hypnotic-like spell which draws their followers under their control. So regardless of how many times a person says they want to glorify God, Jesus tells us to watch our heart. Which direction is it going? Is our respect, honor, admiration, and love being drawn toward the teacher? Then what they're teaching isn't true. It's being invented by their own human spirit. Or is our respect, honor, admiration, and love being drawn toward God? In that case, Jesus says, you'll notice that the teacher is always reminding you of the things God has said to his people in the past. True. Remember that? Aletheia. Not forgotten. 
And he or she is always encouraging you to walk obediently in the standards God has revealed in his covenant laws. Righteous. There's one more test, but to understand it, we first need to listen to Jesus teach. Now I'm going to take you, let's go look at it again. John 7, I want to read verse 19 through 24. And I want to, you and I are going to listen to what those leaders heard and why they were so amazed. Once more quick. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Proud answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it's from the Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Let's look at this. Probably in February or March of that year, it was John chapter 5, Jesus had healed a man beside the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember that healing? And even though it was a Sabbath day, he told that man to pick up his pallet and carry it away. Both the act of healing and carrying away the pallet were considered by the religious leaders to be work, which means they violated the command to rest on the Sabbath. For doing that, they wanted to execute Jesus. Knowing their plan, he spoke directly to them and told them that their determination to execute him without a trial was prohibited by the law of Moses. And then he explained why he had not violated God's law. He compared healing that man to the act of circumcising a baby boy. He said, you're willing to perform a surgery on a child on the Sabbath, which is a form of work. You do it in order to protect the child from being excluded from the covenant of Abraham and also to obey the command of the law of Moses, even though the law forbids you to work on the Sabbath. In this case, the law expects you to break one command in order to obey a higher command. The spiritual need of that child to be rescued becomes more important than your need to rest. God approves of this. He would be displeased if you did not rescue the child. Then at what age does God want us to stop rescuing people on the Sabbath? Do you see where he's going? He's good, isn't he? Man, he's got him. Then he asked, are you outraged with me? Because I made a man completely well on a Sabbath. The person he had healed had been disabled for 38 years. And he tried to restore that man's relationship to God. You remember that? He confronted, found him in the temple, told him to repentance. The man didn't do it. The man turned him into the police. Though it appears the man refused to repent, attempting to rescue his soul was more important than doing no work on the Sabbath. Now, after listening to Jesus teach, we can understand the final test. He said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. By this statement, he was pleading with these religious leaders not to use the laws of God in a superficial way, but to look deeper and to try to understand why God wanted people to do certain things. 
If they did, they would discover that God gave his laws to bless people, not prevent them from helping each other when someone was in genuine need. Is that making sense? Look, this is a huge point of conflict for Jesus. Go, go with me to Matthew 12. I want to show you a, a passage which is just full of this. The more I watch Jesus and the more I watch him in that religious environment, you begin to see what, he, what he's teaching. He's truly a prophet. And he's, 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 he's going right after these false understandings of the law. And he's calling them up. Watch this, chapter 12. It's just, this just comes in rapid fire. Verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what's not lawful on, on a Sabbath. They're, they're accusing him of harvesting grain on, on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions. How they entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Now, let me stop there. Did you remember this story? David is out and he's, he's fleeing from Saul. He's doing it because of God. God has ca called him. And so he comes to the, to the tabernacle there. And, and he, he and his men ate the showbread off the tables. It's only for the priest. Did God strike him dead? Was God unhappy? No. Because he's on assignment. His need, his need outweighs the law here. He's not, he's not abusing anything. He's not making something up. This isn't, it's, it's genuine. So God, it was the right thing to do for him to take that bread. God cared more for David and his men than for a rule right there. The rules are good, but they're not meant to prevent genuine need. Go, keep going. Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, priests in the temple break the, break the Sabbath and are innocent? Priests are ministering like crazy. They're working hard on the Sabbath, but it's not a sin. Why? They have a higher calling. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. That's out of Hosea. Would you say that? I desire compassion. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. All right, it keeps going. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will, he, will, he will take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Do you hear where he's going? He's just cutting through this religious legalism and saying, stop using God's laws to hurt people. They're meant to bless. They're meant to be, be you, you're taking that and, and, and caring, not caring for the souls of men. You've forgotten who it is. He says, if you have a sheep that falls into a hole, you'll do work on the Sabbath. You'll pull that sucker out of there. But I got a man here who's, who's bound and, and crippled. And you don't want me to heal him on the Sabbath. You can, you can hear, in fact, watch what happens here. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. 
And the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Two spirits, two different understandings of why God has given us his law, two different understandings of the God who gave us his law. One is to crush us under the system of rules and see if we'll keep them. The other who's given them as a loving father to bless his children and, and to, 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 to save people. Look for teachers who remember the heart of God and understand why he wants us to obey his laws. Such teachers do not grow harsh or legalistic. Though they hold God's standards high, they never forget he gave us his laws so he could have relationship with us. He was teaching us how to become like him so that his presence could dwell among us. A trustworthy teacher will never forget that God loves people and wants to save them. That day, Jesus taught us how to avoid spiritual deception. He showed us what to watch for in ourselves and in those who try to teach us. These tests will protect us from being misled in the most important area of our lives, our walk with God. Let's hear them once more. Why don't you read them out loud with me? Number one, don't look at a person's academic credentials. Listen to what they're... Number two, ask yourself, is this something this teacher thought up or does it come from God? Number three, prepare yourself. You must desire to do God's will before he will reveal it to you. Number four, watch your heart. After you listen to that person teach, did you find yourself being drawn closer to God or the teacher? Number five, look for teachers who judge with righteous judgment. That means they never forget that God loves people and wants to save them. One final observation. Jesus said these things so that people could test to see if he was truly sent from God. He boldly invited them and us to apply those tests to him. And each of us needs to do that. We need to ask ourselves, when I apply these standards to Jesus, what do I conclude? Is he trustworthy? And is, is his teaching from God? What I learned today is that if I genuinely want to know the answer to that question, God will give it to me. Would you stand with me? He gave us the standards and he said, now apply it to me. Have I come from the Father? Am I teaching what he's taught? What do you conclude? Does he draw us closer to God when we hear? Does he, does he teach us things we want to hear from the flesh? Or does he teach us from the things God has revealed, from, does he remember the truths and does he teach the, the standards of God and call us higher? He calls us higher, doesn't he? All of these things, you apply them to Jesus. Any of you at some point in your, your, your spiritual history said, God, if you're really there, I want to know it. And, and you meant it. How many of you say, I did that? Oh, goodness. Hold your hands up again. Look around. That's, that's wild. I had no idea. You, what were you doing? You were doing, what is it, step three? You were saying, God, if you're there, I, I want to know it. And I'm making the commitment in a sense. If you're there, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge that and come to you. But you must show yourself to me. And, and looks to me like he did. Huh? 
He will also teach us the truth. If you and I are faced with confusion and faced with stuff we're hearing, he, if we want to know the truth and if we will, we will come before him honestly, he will tell us what is flesh and what is him. He will show us the difference. We will never be led astray or confused or deceived. The spirit of God, what does John say in his first epistle? He says, the spirit within you teaches you all things. You don't need a teacher because they were having false teachers. They were having all kinds of people coming in and ruining what the apostles had done. He says, you don't need that stuff. The spirit in you, he'll tell you what's true. You listen to that. Aren't we grateful? Yes. Holy Spirit, we so love you. You are our gift and you are our witness. You will, you will give us discernment and understanding. We will not be led astray. We have come to the Lord Jesus we have heard him. We have tested him, as it were. And he is the son of God. And that which he speaks is from our father. And we trust him with all our heart. Lord, you are with us now. And you will lead us and take us by the hand. And you will cause us to grow strong and healthy. And you will not allow us to be taken and led astray. And we choose this day. We will not allow our flesh to lead us. We will not choose teachers based on what tickles our ears or pleases us. We will follow, Lord, that which the Spirit and the Word of God say. Thank you, Lord, for being our teacher. If you agree with that, would you say yes, Lord? Yes. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.